be broadcast time of day you don't need to apply to survive the closer we'll get the more we'll lose our minds can't you feel it already Which brings us back to Thomas Carlyle. The history of the world is but the biography of great men. You can see how, in the 1840s, such a theory would be so attractive with the adoration of Caesar or Alexander, for example. But after Nazism and their subversion of Nietzsche, how it just as quickly fell out of favour. Even some of the best historians have fallen into these narrative fads of the study of history. Next week, we'll be moving on to Herbert Spencer and a dissection of his criticism of Carlyle. Please do your reading. Here you are, sir. How was class? <laughs> sea of blank faces. Remember Oxford? Every week was a new debate. Oh, it was mostly you sparking them, I recall. Much to the lecturer's chagrin. <laughs> oh, I know, students these days, too much internet. They all have ADD. <laughs> Don't be such an old man, Morris. The way syllabus is structured now, all they have time to do is retain and regurgitate. Teaching's not what it used to be. You know, you're not too old to switch gears, you know. Mm. Done any writing? <laughs> you ask me that every time I see you. And every time you say no. Lester was asking after you. And how is the pompous sneak? He said your last is still doing good numbers. Especially for its age. Tell me, are royalty still keeping the walls from the door? I stopped for good reason, Thomas. That book will have you personal in What? You were just saying how you can't reach your students with the rubbish the syllabus hands out. Well, Laird's was telling me this is the exact demo picking up. The Great River. And listen, we both know what the administrations are going to do to the poor bastards for the next four years. You could put something out there that might really shake things up. No! <laughs> I couldn't shake up a snow globe. Not with my reductive text. If Lester wants a provocateur for his failing publishing house, he'll have to look elsewhere. You know, I couldn't imagine why Linda left you. <laughs> Mr. Blake? Yes? I'm, uh, I'm from your class. Oh, right. Uh, sorry, you must forgive me. It's hard to remember. That's quite all right. I don't stand out. Was there anything you needed? Oh, no. I was just wondering if I could ask you about today's lecture. Oh, I see. I'm afraid at the moment... And actually, I'm not I'm about anyway. Why don't you have my seat? Oh, thank you. Oh, now, Maurice... Uh, got a bus to catch, old chap. Till next time. I'm sorry. I wasn't interrupting, was I? <laughs> no, no. Perhaps proving a point. Sorry? Oh, nothing. Uh, so was there something you were having difficulty with? Well... I've read all of Carlyle's work. Oh, I don't envy you. Very dry stuff. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Um, you talked of how they fell out of favor. Do you think their theory had any merit? No, I don't think so. Academia has moved on from it. I don't mean from an academic standpoint. I mean, don't you think that it could be possible for society to be changed by individuals, the right people for the right moment? No, I'm afraid not. It was a concept that made sense only in the context of the time. You must understand, medieval Europe was a hotbed of revolution. Among the elite, the idea of mass social change being affected by the people themselves, by what Tyler or Martin Luther say, was uncomfortable to think about. Far less unsettling that the world was moved by giants, chosen by God or destiny, who'd lead the masses to forge nations. The masses not being capable to do it themselves. So it was just a fear of populism among the ruling classes? Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. But the most successful revolution of the 1800s was led by Napoleon. The socialist doctrine was outlined by Marx and used by Stalin into a stranglehold of power. Figureheads always emerge, even from mass popular uprisings. What was your name again? Oh, uh, Joanna. I can't recall you in class much. I tend not to speak out much. Well, you should. We need more of this kind of debate in the class. Thank you. In answer to your question, yes, you're correct. Figureheads, because figureheads is the right term. Individuals who come to neatly represent or embody preconceived ideals and values. Before Martin Luther nailed his treatise to the church door, many people in positions of power throughout Germany were already saying to themselves, when will some foolish priest challenge the Vatican? Before Princeps stopped for a sandwich and saw Franz Ferdinand pulling up on the curb, Hindenburg had already been saying, if there's anything that'll start a war, it'll be some damn radical in the politics. So if someone had stopped Princep, given the chance, it wouldn't have prevented the Great War? The fire starts, Joanna, because the kindling has been stacked just right. It doesn't matter where the spark comes from. Interesting you chose that as a metaphor. Um, in The Great River, you compared society to a river, that the flow of it can change, but it's always moving towards the same sea. The major theme of your first book, if I recall. First and last, yeah. Sorry, yes. Um, per perhaps Princep is a bad example. Would you really say, if you could, that you wouldn't kill Hitler when he was a young man? Oh, no, no, chestnut. Would you? I don't think it's a choice. You'd be morally irresponsible not to. You would? Yes. To prevent such a catastrophe, to steer society away from so much suffering. So you go to Munich 1919 and shoot an embittered veteran down some alley behind a beer hall. But what about Uncle Joe in the East? Without World War II, perhaps the USSR swallows Europe whole. So you nip over to Georgia in 1890 and murder a cobbler's son. Though you can't know that Trotsky won't do much worse. 
So you make sure that ice pick hits home a lot earlier. Then you think, why not nip the whole thing in the bud and dash over to London in 1849 and shove Karl Marx in front of a cable car? I'm sure he'd appreciate the irony. He himself said that changes to society were not made overnight by a handful of men. Like I said, it's a moral choice, not a theological one, to stop horror and destruction. I would do anything. <laughs> My belief amuses you. <laughs> I understand you feel. It makes for a good narrative, the hero or demagogue or lone gunman changing the course of society. But that's not history, it's stories. Our world is formed by trends, forces and random chance. I'm not here by random chance, Mr. Blake. And I didn't come from your class. I came, I suppose you could say, from an undiscovered country. Uh, I don't follow Joanna. I hoped if I reasoned with you, I could make it easier, justify it to myself. Oh, Mr. Blake, I'm stood on a street corner in Sarajevo weighing the world. What are you doing? Is, is that... I'm sorry. If you'd seen where I came from, what it's like, it's for the greater good. Double quarter today! Matron calling. Oh, yeah, for my sponge bath. Oh, how are you feeling, old chap? Oh, I get trucked back totally. How long are they keeping you? Test till the end of the week, and I can get out of this antiseptic limbo. Still bloody lucky, you know. I don't feel it. So what did the police tell you? Well, she's certainly not one of my students. No ID of any kind. No records of her at all. And with some of the things she's been claiming, she's clearly mentally unwell. Then perhaps just think of this as a wake-up call. From obsolescence? I have a gift from Lester. What am I supposed to do with that? Uh, I hear Candy Crush is a good use of time. Mori! Think about it, at least. If you're as obsolete as you claim, no harm can come of it, right? See you for coffee when you get out, old chap. Turns, starring Dick Douglas, Gwen Holmes and Tom Clear. Written by Peter Gardner, recorded by James Wingfield, edited by Dan Scout, with thanks to Jay Murphy. For more episodes, go to 2bitproductions.com or find us on the iTunes store.
it can't be deadly deadly. It rises high in the air and can be carried by wings for hundreds of miles before hearing the whisper through the static. 